0: This episode of the RPG Academy podcast is brought to you by Wormwood Gaming. Wormwood Gaming handcrafts custom accessories out of premium hardwoods. Everything they make is backed by their craftsman's promise, which is a 100% satisfaction guarantee for life. From role-playing games to board games and card games, Wormwood Gaming can take all of your gaming experiences to the next level. Take a look at their website, which is wormwoodgaming.com. That's W-Y-R-M, woodgaming.com. And take a look at some of their amazing wares from dice trays, dice towers, dice vaults, and more, made of some of the most gorgeous woods you will find. These premium gaming accessories may not be something you need, but once you look at them, they will definitely be something that you want. Wormwood Gaming is a sponsor of a Catacon this year for 2016. They will be donating some of their product for us to give away. And in addition to that, if you go to their website and you find something there that you want, which you will, and that you will buy, hopefully you will, if you use the coupon code RPG Academy, you will get free shipping. In addition, this will help their company gauge the interest of our audience for their products. So if enough people use that coupon code, we may get additional supplies for a gatacon. So please take a look at their website at WormwoodGaming.com. There will be a link in the show notes. Fall in love. And pull out that credit card and help yourself and a Catacon with the coupon code RPG Academy. And now on to the show.
1: Hello, students. Welcome, academaniacs. I bid you all a spooky Halloween greeting. I am everyone's favorite co host, the Caleb G. Welcome to a very special Kickstarter edition show and tell. I am thrilled to be introducing in the RPG Academy virtual interview loft Strix from Magpie Games. Hi, Strix.
2: Hi, it's wonderful to be here.
1: Thank you so much. I have been looking forward to this interview for quite some time. So uh, we are going to get right down into it. We are here to talk about Bluebeard's Bride.
2: Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. (laughs) Uh,
1: This is the latest project from Magpie Games, and it is currently on Kickstarter right now. Uh, The link for the Kickstarter campaign will be in the show notes below, Uh, but we are here to talk about the game itself, what went into the the development process, some of the themes behind this game. Before we get into all of that, though, Strix, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners here and the student body at the RPG Academy?
2: Sure. So hello, RPG Academy. I think we are meeting for the first time, but this will probably not be the last. So my name is Strix Baltran. And I am a narrative writer um, and game designer in video games and in tabletop. So I've written for games like State of Decay 2, I'm currently working on Scion, I have my fingers in a bunch of different projects, and I am also a gaming academic, which means I write really boring peer-reviewed papers that normal people don't read. (laughs) About games. And I'm also a diversity and inclusion advocate in the gaming space and um, a consultant as well. So I do a lot of different things. I wear a lot of different hats. Oh, and I forgot one. Uh, I am actually a host um, for a show called Weekly Affirmations. It's my show. And it's on Twitch on the Hyper Rabbit Power Go variety channel, uh, which was started by Zach Eubanks, who is the guy who used to run Geek and Sundry. And it's every Friday at 3 p.m. PST. And we cover indie and freeform games and topics around play and mythology and safety and queerness and horror and, and all the things that I find interesting. So um, it's a really great show. So I guess I do a lot of things, uh, but they all have to do with games. And then I have this pesky full-time job where I work in tech startup. So that's me.
1: <laughs> wow. Uh, Strix, I knew you were busy, but I did not know that you were this busy. Just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That's insane. You are all over the place. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of that insane schedule to talk to us here. Um, We absolutely want to focus on Bluebeard's Bride. Bluebeard's Bride is an incredibly unique game. Uh, I would go so far as to say there's really nothing else like it in the indie game scene right now. Uh, why don't we just start talking about this? What is what is the elevator pitch for Bluebeard's Bride?
2: The elevator pitch. All right, let me see if I can do this well. So the elevator pitch for Bluebeard's Bride is that it is a feminine horror game where you play as aspects of the psyche of the bride, of Bluebeard. And Bluebeard... Uh, is, of course, the fairy tale, originally French in origin, or at least written in French, um, where there's a powerful, scary aristocrat who marries many women, and they all disappear. And he marries this young, nubile, innocent girl and is like, you know, here are the keys to my house. It's awesome. Have fun. But don't enter this one room or else. And then she does, and she finds all the bodies of the previous wives, and he gacks her. Or, you know, depending on the variant, um, her brother saves her or her sister saves her. Uh, but in this game, uh, no one saves you. <laughs> and so um, this is uh, definitely an, a, a game for adults. Um, it's a game that we know is not for everybody, but it is truly terrifying. <laughs> the The last time I ran this game, I made somebody cry in a good way, in a good way. Uh, but it was it was very moving and emotional and it um I think a seminal experience for that particular player and there's definitely something very much alive and moving within this game which we're very proud of wow
1: there is just so much packed into those few (laughs) minutes of description oh man I don't even know where to start um
2: I can start with the very basics I can start with the with the how this how this works um if that's okay yeah, with please, you. Yeah,
1: please, please. Absolutely. Um definitely start with uh where did this idea come from? I mean, I I know the th- the three of you that were working on this game. I I don't believe that you just woke up one morning and said, "Hey, let's turn this random fairy tale into this super super intense uh feminist horror role-playing game."
2: Oh, it's actually much worse than that. It's not oh, even that we oh got boy. up one day. Uh so 2 years ago, there was a game jam for women at Gen Con. And I remember I'd been cosplaying that day and I was really tired and I didn't wanna go and basically my friends guilted me into showing up because I was not into it. (laughs) Um, But then I sat down at the table and who I happened to sit next to was Sarah Richardson, who ended up being one of my co-designers on Bluebeard Bride. So we sat and we were like, okay, well, you guys are going to make a game in this hour. So have fun. What do you want to do? And so Sarah and I turned to each other and we were like, well, what are you interested in? And I was like, well, you know, I have a degree in mythology. So mythology or fairy tales is good. And she was like, I love fairy tales. That sounds like a great idea. What do we want to do? And I was thinking about it and I was like, I know. Why don't we do something based off Bluebeard? That's a really disturbing tale and that could be really fun. And she was like, oh my God, yes, let's do Bluebeard. So Sarah and I sat down during that game jam for the first half hour and sort of drafted this idea for Bluebeard. And we knew immediately that it had to be a horror game because it's it's a horrifying story. Um, Marissa Kelly, who is our third co-designer on this game, was one of the facilitators of this game jam. And she was essentially there to help people kind of figure out how they were going to structure their games and then send them on their merry way. Well, Marissa got sat down with us and we were like, here's what we think and here's what we want to do and here's what we're working on. And by the end of this hour or two hours, all three of us were so gripped by what we had done in just that bare minimum amount of time that we were like, oh my gosh, we actually have to make this. Uh, And we are entirely convinced. And not only were we convinced, but when we pitched the game to the room, as we went around with everyone's game ideas, everyone else was like, oh my God, you have to do that. So it was really clear that we had, I don't want to say stumbled, but picked something that was incredibly ripe to explore and had a magic to it um, that we weren't anticipating. It had a living heart from the moment that we decided we were going to do it. And it's that heart has survived up until the publication of this game, I think.
1: Well, that is a very interesting origin story of Bluebeard's Bride. Not mm-hmm. what I expected you were going to share at all. So, yep, <laughs>
2: that,
1: that is super, super cool. I, I want to get into some of the nitty-gritty of the game first here before we start talking about uh, how the game works and what players can expect. Uh, this game is so unique. I want to make sure that our listeners here have a context of what the game is and what they're getting into so we know this is a horror game we, we know mm-hmm. this is a game that is devoted to those types of themes right off the bat mm-hmm. uh, one of the things you explained though was that the players are taking on some of the different aspects or uh, personality features of the bride's psyche why don't yes. we talk about that a little bit because that's very intriguing
2: Yes. So the basics are, um, this is a one-shot game that has replay value. So you play it once and that's the game, but you can play it again. Um, There are up to five people who can play at a time plus a GM. And those five people are basically the five sisters. And you can think of them as archetypes or as complexes, if you're familiar with Freudian psychology, where basically we all have sort of Parts are parts of ourselves that are amalgamated into like sub personalities. So maybe we have like an inner warrior or like an inner mom. And so what we decided to do was to make each player one aspect of the bride's whole personality. So the sisters are the virgin, the mother, the witch, uh, the femme fatale, and oh, I'm forgetting one. Virgin, mother, witch, femme fatale. five of them. I know I'm missing something very important. (laughs) Um, You can tell I'm tired. Uh, But basically, (laughs) um, players can choose any one of these um, to try out. And once you have one of these sisters, um, each of them has a set of moves. And you can only choose one of their personal moves, essentially, to play that game. So even... Even the sisters themselves have different aspects. So if you think of the sister, of the mother, right? Well, she could be like the mother bear, or she could be like the martyr mother who sacrifices herself, or she could be like the undermining mother who is just really pernicious and wants to control everything. And so we play with those aspects and we make them multi-dimensional instead of one-dimensional. So that depending on how you're feeling that day, if you pick up one of these sisters, um, you can play them in various different ways. Oh, oh, I remember the last one. That's why I forgot. The Animus.
1: Ah, the Animus. Which
2: is like the masculine part of the self of the sister. The Animus.
1: So uh, the, the players come together here. They are effectively all sharing responsibility for the fate of our bride. Mm-hmm. And together they are making the decisions as she explores Bluebeard's mansion or house. Let's talk about the house then. Uh, We Mm -hmm. know in the original fairy tale, uh, the bride is told, here are the keys to my house. You may go anywhere you want except for this one room. Um, You guys have a very specific tone in mind for this game. Is the house itself predefined? Are these rooms already existing? Mm -hmm. Or is that something the, uh, the game's Uh, the groundskeeper, I should say, uh, invents and creates as the game progresses.
2: Sure. So the groundskeeper is what we call the GM in this game. And actually, um, none of the rooms are generated ahead of time. The house or the mansion or the castle or however you decide to imagine it that day when you sit down at the table um, is really much more than just a house. This is this is not a haunted house game. This is a game about something much more. And so the house is a representative of your entrapment. It's representative of secrets and the lies that have been told to you. But it is also a metaphor for the bride's own mind, and in some ways is a reflection of her. Um, and so that's a nuance that can sometimes be easily caught, and sometimes people don't get it. Um, but the house is kind of like a flexible reality and the way that the rooms are defined is through collaboration between the players and the groundskeeper and so what will happen is um there is a wedding ring that gets passed around between the different sisters and whoever has the wedding ring is sort of like the sister in charge of the body for that round and so that sister has to describe a key to a door and we really encourage fantastical keys like keys made out of like you know moving lava or keys that look like they came dredged up from the sea or have golden diamonds on them or is made of living butterflies um we really want people to feel like this is a fantastical ephemeral landscape and so the player will describe the key and then based on what is um described with the key then the groundskeeper goes okay well, I'm going to create a room that matches this key. So it could be like um, a butcher's block area where they, they harvest the meat for the big galas or the dinners. Uh, it could be an actual like shipbuilding room where there's thousands of ships in a bottle um, or a library. It's all filled with really spooky children's books Then you don't want to open them because really bad things will happen. And so there is a tremendous amount of fluidity um, with this room making. Now, with that comes a responsibility of making rooms well, right? Which um, some people have fantastic imaginations and they can just spit that out and other people need help. And so what we've done is we've made resources for both the players and, and the groundskeeper to be able to draw from themes and ideas to build these keys and rooms to give them a little bit of scaffolding.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I, I have been learning over the past few years about how to be a much more Improv-based GM. So this very much is a game that embodies that creativity and on-the-spot development and that communication between players and uh, GM. Mm -hmm. So as the sisters are exploring these rooms that are being defined, uh, what's the point of the exploration? What are they getting into?
2: So that is an excellent question. So um, when you marry Bluebeard and he sticks you in this house, he leaves. He goes on vacation, essentially, um, and leaves you alone. And there are planted in the game many troubling signals that something might be very wrong (laughs) because he's murdered all of his previous wives and stuck them in a room. And so... Uh, the house is also filled with servants, which we um, use to sort of help or hinder the bride, depending on what's going on. And the bride is pushed to discover basically an object in each room that she goes into. And the object, she has to decide. No one tells her um, whether it is an indication of Bluebeard's love and fidelity for her or whether it's an indication that he's a scary, murderous, awful awful person and we make it mechanically so that that's a very hard choice to make the only way you can heal in this game is by convincing yourself that bluebeard loves you and by heal i mean recover actual like um health and trauma points not like heal as in a spiritual sense because you're definitely not healing in a spiritual sense (laughs) (laughs) um and so it really catches you mechanically in like man i just found this bloody children's shoe And now I have to decide, is this a shoe that um, Bluebeard has because a little girl fell down and he picked her up and carried her all the way home? Or is it a bloody shoe that Bluebeard has because he tortured children in a school setting and then, you know, used them to feed to his pigs? (laughs) And so um, because we make the players choose, it's really agonizing because they have a lot on the line in convincing themselves either way, and at the end it's only their choice, which is of course messed up and awesome.
1: So here's a question for you, Strix, and uh, I-, I think this is a, maybe a bit of an, a simple question to ask, but what is, what is preventing the players from simply always choosing the good option and, and going for that classic happy fairy tale ending?
2: Oh, I'm so glad you asked so um when we want people to play bluebeard's bride we want people to have full transparency about the nature of this fairy tale and how it ends and the ending is most of the time real bad so if you choose to pretend that everything is fine and bluebeard loves you even the face of all of this creeping terror um what happens is sure you remain loyal to him but when you go and open that last room uh, he murders you and you die so <laughs> that's not really the best way out
1: <laughs> okay well that makes it very simple then yes I uh, but but I like how you've even though you've established this game leads to horrific death there is still the option of essentially the players taking charge of the horribleness around them and, and they are able to effectively craft uh, some of the, uh, some of the ways that things can go, even though it's going badly, they can use the horribleness around them to explore bits about the psyches uh, of the different sisters and react to it in different ways.
2: Yes, I think you have it just right. Um this game is really not about winning. There's I mean there's not really a win condition. The game is about um explorations and someone just tagged my buzzer. We'll have to do that later. Um explorations of agency and lack of agency and horror and not winning over the horror, but like, okay, if you can't win against the horror, what do you do? Who who are you? How do you exist? How do you survive? What does your life mean? And those are much harder things to grapple with than just, you know, hitting a thing on the head with a hammer because it's spooky.
1: And that right there is, I think, what excites me most about this game, Strix. Uh, I come from a background in the tabletop gaming hobby from Dungeons & Dragons, being a power gamer, being a min-maxer, being focused on the aspects of the game that are almost completely devoted to combat mm-hmm. and overcoming obstacles and challenges by hitting them with a hammer. Mm-hmm. Bluebeard's Bride is absolutely the farthest opposite you can get <laughs> from that mindset, Um I've been trying to challenge myself as a player, as, as a gamer, to explore games that are not focused on combat as a form of conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are in a, a renaissance, a golden age of indie game development, and there are a lot of games that are approaching a game as being not just fight a thing till you get to the win condition.
2: Yes. And, and,
1: and Bluebeard's <laughs> Bride is at the forefront of defining this new genre. Um, is that what you guys wanted to do in that meeting at Gen Con? Is that where you thought this would go?
2: So I think it's a consequence of authentically exploring our own lived experiences. And what I mean mm. by that is, sure, The consequence of this game is, yeah, you can hurt things, but they hurt you back, period. And it's not a sustainable action. Like, you will not win doing this. You cannot win doing this. And this echoes what we understand and what we have lived through. And again, I can only really speak for myself here today. Um... But what we've experienced as women, when people are bigger than us, when people are maybe physically stronger than us a lot of the times, when we are maybe in situations where we don't have leverage or enough power to be free enough to take winning actions. And so what we're really driving at is an authentic experience of what we know to be true.
1: That is very impressive to see what your original intent and goal was and how it has evolved and translated into this amazing game that we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's also one of the aspects of the horror genre that is so fascinating to me. Uh, The the horror genre, I I think, is one of the most important genres to uh, to approach with tabletop gaming because it's very close to reality. And yes, it layers in supernatural or otherworldly elements, but it, it echoes a theme that is so true that there are things out of our control mm-hmm. and there there are things that we cannot comprehend and we can only hope to survive or or gain a passing understanding of.
2: Yes. I mean, there are many different kinds of horror in the horror genre, right? There's the the Cthulhu-esque, like, impossible-to-wrap-your-mind-around horror. There's the survival horror where you basically, like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer-style, like, kind of join in in the fun. And then there's, like, the horror that we're doing where it's not fun for real. And um, we're part of a much grander tradition of feminine horror that, you know, dates back to the 1800s in gothic literature. Um, We saw it with excellent movies like Rosemary's Baby and Crimson Peak. Um, This has just never been done in tabletop before. Uh, And so I'm actually really excited to see this opening.
1: So do you guys think that you will be starting a a brand new genre here in tabletop?
2: I like to think so. (laughs)
1: why don't we take a step back into the game itself here as we've been talking about kind of grander themes um one of the things you mentioned as you were describing the game was that uh, the players had certain moves available to them Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, i know that bluebeard's bride runs on the uh, powered by apocalypse mechanics Mm -hmm. did you guys originally sit down and say hey let's use the Apocalypse Rules, It was that the first thing that came to the table, or did that uh, evolve a little bit as you guys went through development?
2: Sure. So I think it goes back to that game jam that we were at, and the first thing that came to the table was the idea and the theme and what we wanted, like what the heart was. And once we decided what the heart was, we wanted to know, okay, what vehicle is gonna closest align to what we wanna do. And there are a couple of systems that we were playing with, maybe Fate, maybe something else. And we settled on Powered by the Apocalypse because um, it's very accessible, it's very hackable, and you can stretch it pretty far away from its origins and still have what you're doing work. And we knew we wanted to take our own path, um, but we really were interested in developing mechanics from scratch. We care more about the experience then we care about creating mechanics. Mechanics are super important. They drive everything in the game. You do have to get them right. But they serve a function in relation to something else. They do not exist by and for themselves. At least that's my philosophy of mechanics. And so we picked the thing that was going to work best, and we, we dove in.
1: So this is, I think, a perfect example of mechanics supporting role play not defining role play. Yes. Uh, This this, (laughs) this is a situation where uh, as the players are are dealing with these events, creating them, obviously this is a very narrative-heavy and narrative-focused game, uh, but when it comes to the point where the groundskeeper requires some sort of mechanical decision or intervention, it feels like the way these mechanics work in Powered by Apocalypse, they just flow very seamlessly into supporting what the players have done and pointing them in a direction, not telling them, all right, you missed when you swung your sword. Oh, your spell failed. They don't make those big defining decisions. They just guide the action as it is happening.
2: Yes. Um, Our philosophy is like you either get to do what you want Or you don't, and something just as else or more interesting happens.
1: And and that is definitely something that is baked into the Powered by Apocalypse rules in any of the play sets, in any of the versions of the games that use this. Um, So we we have the sisters. They they have uh, the different aspects of their own personalities Mm -hmm. uh, or psyches. Um, What else goes into the sisters? What else... Uh, do they bring to the game here?
2: So each of the sisters has a personality that's pretty specific and has sort of a play theme that's pretty specific, and we purposely designed them so that they don't all get along all the time. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that was that was very intentional because, like anybody's internal psyche, you are not in harmony all the time, right? Um, you maybe go back and forth with yourself about decisions or you question your own motives. And we really wanted to make it up to the players to decide how fracturous and how um, competitive they were going to be with each other. And so we we built some some spectrum into these characters where, sure, they could all, you know, hook arms and, and march down the golden brick road together, or they could just have, like, an all-out catfight if they really wanted to. Um, and... We put that in there so that there would be interesting things going on between them as much as there were horrible things going on outside of them. So they're going to be kept busy <laughs> kind of no matter what they're doing.
1: Interesting. Interesting. So uh, with Bluebeard's Bride, we are fostering not only external conflict, but internal conflict.
2: Absolutely. I, I love the internal conflict aspect.
1: Well, I, I think you essentially dictated that is going to happen guaranteed by creating the the players being different aspects of the personality, not different people all experiencing this adventure together. Uh, the, the players are the different ways we perceive the world around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, in any good horror story, there comes a point where the characters just can't cope with what's going on Mm -hmm. and things just get too intense and that's when things get really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you guys have any sort of mechanics in place to foster that uh, breaking moment when things all go to hell?
2: Oh yes, is my short answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But uh, a quick caveat here, when we first started playtesting this game, Um, I made an error the first few times that I learned from very quickly, where I would start the terror level pretty low and then throughout the game sort of ramp it up and ramp it up and ramp it up. And what I found was you actually have to give players breaks to digest horror and ease off and back off and let them breathe for a second. Or their brains just shut off. They're just like, nope, I'm so scared that it doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) Ha ha ha, I'm just going to die now. Um, And so we learned that we needed those narrative breaks, which is why you have to go you know, from room to room and there's hallways and you spend time doing things and talking to people between rooms. Uh, Because if you just went on that roller coaster and you were just up the whole time, it actually is not sustainable. But as far as that moment that you're talking about the the moment of everything crashing apart and coming away at the seams and and having that clarifying moment of pure horror that is very specifically baked into the game It is is what essentially is the climax point and the climax point is after you have collected a specific number of tokens from these rooms either for bluebeard's love or to prove him guilty of murder Um, and you can choose whether there's three or it's five to kind of delineate how long your game is going to be. Once you hit that third or that fifth artifact on either side, um, that triggers the last room. And the last room is the room from the fairy tale where you discover the truth. Mm, So no matter matter what you've been doing, right, um, you are confronted with this particular reality. And in this game, the... Uh, the spirit or the ghosts of the previous brides are waiting for you in that room. And they will take something from you.
1: Hmm. So, does this become a situation where the players are trying to uh, maybe bargain for help from these spirits?
2: That's not gonna happen. <laughs> oh, no. oh boy. Um that mechanically isn't built into the game, and um players won't be shepherded, shepherded anywhere near that kind of experience. What they'll find is a confrontation of self. Um the the ghost of the previous brides is more like a mirror than anything else, and so they have to face themselves. Um and it's very interesting what players end up doing with that.
1: Interesting. So, so this goes back to what you were telling us about earlier, where this is about consequences. This is about the choices we make as we're exploring this game and how our perception directly impacts what's happening in the story.
2: Absolutely. And that can make it feel very surreal and very unmoored and very disorienting. And that is all lovely. <laughs> that is exactly what we want.
1: So speaking of what you want in this game, uh, we, we've talked a lot about the tone of the game. Uh, obviously, we are dealing with a very intense subject, the fact that the bride is effectively walking into her own demise. mm mm-hmm. Um, But there are a lot of different ways this can happen. What's your intent as players are exploring these rooms? Are you wanting them to come up with just very uh, kind of classic, scary horror elements? Are you wanting them to dig into more deep, personal, psychological elements? How do you want this to develop?
2: So I personally have very specific intents for this game. Um, but as a groundskeeper, the primary rule here is to let players scare themselves. Let them bring out the things that they want to deal with, or that they may be out and kind of want to deal with, but, but maybe not. Um, it's very easy to go, ooh, look at the big bat and all the blood and the bathtub filled with hair. And those are like scary objects, right? But they're in a way external. What, what we want is for players to say, I am really afraid of not being heard. And then, you know, they're in a room filled with mouths that are all screaming silently, right? Um, or I am afraid of sexual encounters of this variety. And so, you know, we, f- you know, confront them with that. Um, So players really choose what's in the content of their game. We encourage them to pick things that are really going to affect and move them. And they know what that is. Like I, as an outsider, can't guess what's going to scare you. I mean, I I could try, but ultimately you're the expert in your own fears. And what we do is we build a space and a container for you to bring them out and do what you're going to do with them.
1: So it's very clear as we're talking about Bluebeard's Bride that this is not just a game you casually pick up and say, huh, I wonder what this is. Maybe I'll try it tonight at the table.
2: <laughs> um, I would say that no. Um, it, it's a boutique game, right? We recognize that. We know that this is not a game that everyone's just going to want to casually pick up and play. Um, But the people who do play the game are very much into it. It's very uh, magnetic. And the best way to play this game is on a dark night in a quiet room where people can whisper. And maybe it's storming outside. And maybe you have creepy music in the background. And I think probably most importantly is an atmosphere of trust That doesn't mean that you have to be best buddies with everyone at the table. I've played this game many times with strangers at cons, and it's gone fantastically. But it does mean everyone has been informed about what this game is and what the content is going to be in there. And that they have basically said in the affirmative that that is what they want. Because if they don't want that, they're going to have a super bad time. And no one wants to have a bad time because it's a game. You're meant to be having fun. And so we believe that full transparency is super important when playing or running this game.
1: This is where that social contract coming into a game and making sure everyone is uh, informed of the themes and they are... Providing their willingness and their consent to play along with the way this game develops becomes very, very important.
2: Yes. We also suggest that everyone who plays this game uses the X card. Are you familiar with the X card?
1: Absolutely. We have talked about that uh, as a very important aspect, especially in con games, Mm -hmm. Uh, but in any kind of home game many, many times here on the Academy. I, I think that is the first thing that jumps to mind after being blown away by how cool Bluebeard's Bride is. It's yep, this is an X card game mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. so mm-hmm.
2: so personally, as a GM, all of my games are X card games, whether it's silly games or whether it's not silly games, um, but because this is a game where there's a lot of very heavy content it's really important to establish and respect boundaries Um, and your boundaries can change as you're playing the game so even if you give consent for something at the beginning you should be able to withdraw that consent later and say you know what this part isn't for me right now and that is okay Um, we very much want there to be good open communication and we want people to have fun because my god if you're not having fun something is not happening correctly
1: And let's be honest here. The the themes that come up in Bluebeard's Bride are not always easy to deal with. Uh, This goes from pure terror to to facing fears, facing parts of yourself. Uh, There are very easily scenes of intense violence. Mm -hmm. Uh, there, There can be things that are on the very adult, sexual, erotic side. That's what you are creating. You've made an environment where all of this is free to occur. So as we are talking to listeners about this game, and as they're going over to the Kickstarter to look at it, people need to be aware that, that that's what this game is. It's an environment to foster these themes and exploration of them.
2: That's, yes, that's horror. And this is very um, sensual horror on top of that.
1: Go into that a little bit more, Strix. What do, what do you mean by a more sensual horror?
2: Ooh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, so um, I, I make no bones about the fact that this is a feminine horror game. And what that really means is it's horror ro- rooted in a feminine experience. Uh, and so it means that it's gendered. Um, You don't have to be a feminine person to play this game at all. I've had many masculine people play this game and absolutely adore it, but it is the nature of the experience that we are trying to describe. And so with that, almost always, there is some component of sexuality. There is some component of sensuousness. There is some component of body. And, you know, one of the sisters that we built is the femme fatale and her domain is is basically being the master of, of that aspect of um, the bride's experiences. And so it is definitely an adult game, and it's very fun. Um, but those are themes that I think have come up every single time that I've run it, because it is such an integral part of what that means to have feminine horror.
1: So as groundskeeper Strix, do you try to create situations where that happens? Or do you find the bits and pieces that your players are giving you and pull that aspect of the story out.
2: Uh, I definitely believe in drawing the players out. Um, They will either consciously or subconsciously tell you what they want to play with. And as long as you communicate to them what is okay in the space, is sexuality okay in the space, is... Um, grotesquery okay in the space? Uh, is body horror okay in the space? And you go, yes, yes, yes. Here's all the reasons why. Here's all these hints. They'll start chasing down the bits that they find interesting. And the most important part is not getting so excited that you squash it and step on it, but giving it space and time and silence enough to draw itself out.
1: Silence in a horror game is a very important tool.
2: It's so important.
1: (laughs) We all talk for a living, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Communication is so important to humans. We're wired to talk and communicate. We spew our thoughts onto social media. We're always talking. We're doing podcasts right now. We're talking into the internet for (laughs) a living. Into Um, the great
2: void, yes.
1: (laughs) Into the great void. The fact of coming into a horror game, it's about changing what we find comfortable. It's taking away the safety that we've created in our real world. Mm-hmm. And the structure that you guys have created for Bluebeard's Bride, I think, not only takes away that comfort, but absolutely destroys it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Why, thank you. Thank you.
1: oh man Strix I I'm I'm actually getting a little bit in that kind of uncomfortable situation vibe just talking about this game because I know what goes into it yeah I'm very much in the zone I mean it's it's October we're getting towards Halloween I I want to be in that spooky horror vibe anyway and talking about Bluebeard's Bride just sets the tone so beautifully for for this time of year and, and for exploring horror. Um, of course, as we are speaking here, as this episode is airing, Bluebeard's Bride is live on Kickstarter. The link is in the show notes. Please, please go over, check it out. Uh, this is such a unique, such an important game. We've said this several times here, but... Uh, Strix, you are one of three women coming together to develop this game that is monumentally breaking ground in tabletop genre, in the horror genre. That is so impressive to me. I think that absolutely needs to be recognized as very, very crucial at this point in our hobby.
2: Well, thank you very much. That is a, a very large um, honor to bestow, and I hope that we can live up to it.
1: Well, from what I know about this game and from this conversation we have had, I absolutely feel that you are more than prepared <laughs> to uh, bear that title. Um, something I'm always just curious about when it comes to game development, uh, and I think a, a fun question to maybe lighten the mood a little bit um, what changed during development from from that original game jam to now? I know things have have changed. So, what's something really cool that's changed, or something that you guys fought with for a little bit and finally found that eureka moment? Tell mm-hmm. us about that a little bit.
2: So, as you as we've discussed before, this is um, we started with "Powered by the Apocalypse" as our model for um, hacking the mechanics of the game, and everything was. All the moves were dice rolls for a long, long time. And then I would want to say about two thirds of the way through development, we went, you know what? Something is not quite what we want here. And it was actually Marissa, Marissa Kelly, who was like, guys, I think we should make some moves diceless. (laughs) And we were like, what? No. Like, why would we? What? Um, And she's like, no, no, no. Just hear me out. And we were like, "Okay, all right. What is this going to mean? And so we took a look at it and we took, again, a, a look at what we wanted because um, we wanted design towards the experience that we want and whatever doesn't work, we want to drop. And um, we were like, well, we want this, again, to be a very narrative heavy game, but for it to not be clunky, for it to be smooth and for there to be a lot of structures to help people tell those narratives, but to not get in their way. And so we cut out dice from a large set of the moves and we were very nervous <laughs> and we went back and play tested it again because we had play tested it a lot up to this point. And we're like, does, does it work? Did it work? Uh, and it did. And we ended up sticking with the diceless moves. Um, not all moves are diceless. You still roll dice for some moves in the game. But um, these are basically triggers now where you do something or something happens narratively And the move just executes. And um, this was a pretty elegant solution to some of the problems that we were having. And it was very much a leap of faith because we didn't know if it was going to work.
1: Well, with approaching such an experimental topic and game concept, I think taking the risk on some experimental mechanics fits very nicely with what you guys are doing. Uh, you've talked about how this game has a few years of playtesting and development behind it. One of the things I like to talk to designers when we focus on a Kickstarter project, how complete is the game right now? And how complete is what will be brought to Kickstarter?
2: So um, we're of the philosophy that it needs to be at least mostly done (laughs) by the time it hits Kickstarter. I really... I'm not a fan of the give us money and then we'll write it model. I know other designers do this. Um, that's their choice. But I feel like in, in our industry, there needs to be a little more going on before that point. And so for us, um, our game text is done. It's, you know, being edited right now. And then like in a couple of weeks, it's going to layout and the layout will be done. Um, we've hired all of our artists. We're already starting to get um, a majority of our art pieces in. And they are amazing, by the way. Oh my God, this art. Um, but like, we're sewing things up right now. That's where we are in the process. There is, there is nothing hanging out at this point.
1: Wonderful. I, I agree with you. I think that it's very important in this age we're in of tabletop gaming to be able to confidently say we have a finished or nearly finished product. Uh, I I think that gives a lot of confidence to backers. I think that attracts a lot more people to the campaign and helps you develop and surpass your goals. Uh, I think that's super, super important. Yeah. Um, One last thing I want to bring up here before we wrap up today. Um, You guys very clearly have a specific setting for this game that Mm -hmm. is very much grounded in the original fairy tale. Mm -hmm. You've got those dark gothic themes of the mansion or the castle out on the moors with the thunderstorm raging around it. Um, Through all of your playtesting, have you guys ever experimented with a different setting?
2: So I think what you mean is we define the house as being gothic um, and we actually don't. So if there are any influences that we actually directly point to, they're actually more Turkish and Middle Eastern in nature than they are in European. Um, and that's because if you go back far enough in the origins of the fairy tale itself, it also does the same thing. Um, it was Pernay who first wrote it down and he was a Frenchman, but the fairy tale existed for a very long time before that. And we definitely want to go all the way back to the very deep roots. And so what happens is it's kind of up to the players at the table and the GM to decide what they're doing. I know Sarah Richardson, who is one of my co-designers, has done like an early 1920s game where there's electricity and there's um, dumbwaiters and there's that kind of thing. Um, I have run a very like um, Salvador Dali-esque kind of melting clocks house kind of game. And I also really love, uh, personally, magical realism. So I'll put it in sort of this um, Latin American magical realist flavored setting. Um, I know Marissa Kelly really likes like traditional like um, uh, European horror, and she loves doing things with like a little bit of a baroque touch, and so. It really is flexible. Like, you could do this in an underwater castle. You could do this in space. That would be freaking terrifying. Um, <laughs> you could. It is built so that you can do it in any sort of residence that is large and has many rooms. And we don't specifically say it has to be this, this gothic house on the moors. Um, so we think that that kind of freedom is important. And especially for telling diverse stories from diverse or maybe even minority backgrounds that will have different flavors, um, that it's important that uh, players be able to do that.
1: Well, I guess it's very telling to my horror preferences that I was approaching that question from the classic uh, European gothic horror standpoint. Uh, But I'll absolutely admit that my motivation behind that question was can I play this game in outer space
2: (laughs) and I answered it for you (laughs)
1: you did Uh, I oh man now I'm really kind of fascinated by having this adventure play out in a derelict spaceship
2: I mean, that sounds really terrifying. If, if there's, there's one thing I can say about this game, this is not like, hehehe, horror. this is like, oh my god horror. <laughs> so I can only imagine the oh my god horror in space.
1: Well, I, I, I think that's the first game I'm going to have to experiment with when I pick up Bluebeard's Bride. Well, definitely
2: report back because I want to hear how it goes. Well,
1: if I survive, Strix, I will <laughs> let you know.
2: I want you to describe the thermonuclear key that leads to the, the ship's core. And the radiation poisoning that blackens your skin as you, oh, no, you know what? I'm going to (laughs) stop. God, please stop. I can't (laughs) handle it. I can't (laughs) handle it.
1: Oh, I've worked too much the past few days. Oh, my goodness, Strix. This has been an excellent, horrifyingly wonderful interview. Um, As we go towards wrapping up here, are there any final words you would like to share with our listeners?
2: I think uh, that this is a fantastic game. I know I'm the designer and every designer thinks that, um, but I've worked on a lot of games over the years. And I, I have to say that this is the first game that is mine, that belongs to me and my co- two co-designers, Marissa and Sarah, and that it is special. Uh, and that if you like horror, because not everyone does, I think you will really enjoy this game if you let go enough to be brave enough and engage with its content.
1: Well, there we go. The challenge has been issued.
2: (laughs) Gauntlet Throne.
1: If you are up to it, gentle listener, uh, swing over to Kickstarter. Follow the link in the show notes. Check out this absolutely unique and just brilliant game. Uh, Strix, thank you so much For talking with me tonight. This has just been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for your time this evening.
2: Well, thank you so much, Caleb. It was wonderful to talk about. I really hope that you enjoy playing Bluebeater in Space. And I'm really looking forward to wrapping up this Kickstarter and having everyone play the game to their heart's desire. So thank you so much.
1: You are very welcome Uh, for Strix, for myself, Michael, everyone at the RPG Academy and the RPG Academy Network. Happy Halloween. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here,